John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we'll be. Uh, Desiree was able to read it for us earlier. If you're going to be, and, and I would, I try to encourage every week to follow along. It'll be, it'll be helpful today for certain. Um, 18 verses is a lot to keep track of, and so we're going to walk through it again. Um, if you're going to be using a Bible that is on the table, we're going to be on page 1,646. 1646 um, is where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is an enormous summary. <laughs> it really is. If, um, if you look at, and, and what we will look at here in just a moment, is how the author goes from or alludes to the creation story, the story of uh, the nation of Israel, God's people, and the story of Jesus, the, the Messiah, and weaves in our story as well, and we'll get to all of that in just a moment. Um, but the author is able to accomplish all of this. Um, we know a couple of things about the author. We know that it's someone who wants to guess the name? Is it? Come on, people. Yeah, John. But we know it's not John the Baptist, um, is, is what we know. Someone named John, not John the Baptist, could or could not have been the same person who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, could or could not have been the um, person who received the revelation that we call the book of Revelation. Um, jury's still out on that, and there's not an actual jury, but scholars are still out on that. This is what we know, though, is that John, someone named John, had an eyewitness account of the life of Christ. And we get that when we look at the entire Gospel of John. Um, but we know that to be true and, and certain, is that this person had an eyewitness account. We know that this was also written after the resurrection and the ascension. Um, that, that is true for all gospel accounts, keeping in mind that, that there weren't, um, the, these, these particular accounts, when you read, for example, John chapter 2, Jesus changing water into wine, um, John wasn't sitting there at the wedding with a journal and writing down it as, as it happened. Um, there, there were shared stories that were handed down, and these are memories, and these are um, just accounts that this one person took in, sat down years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, and compiled it. The reason that I share that specifically, although that's true every single time we open the scriptures, regardless of the book that we're in, excuse me, the reason I share that here is because these opening verses of the Gospel of John, it's important for us to realize that they were written in hindsight. They were written after someone was able to encounter the Christ. They were written after um, people were able to discuss and talk about the implications of a risen Savior. And that's the same context in which we approach them as well. So it's kind of cool to be able to look at a scripture and it be very much written for us as the readers. 
this is an overview of the story of God, the story of God's people, the story of God's son, and how it weaves into our story. So of these first 18 verses, I would like to give a two-word um, summary of the summary. <laughs> the theme of these 18 verses uh, for this morning is, it's true. That's, that's kind of what jumped out at me as I was preparing, was, it's true. So I'm going to read through these verses again, and I'm going to provide a little bit of commentary. But before I do that, realizing that the good and the bad is true, realizing that the, the good and beautiful things and the unfortunate things is true. This is what we mean. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We believe that's true. We believe that's a true statement. And you may recognize that from the opening words of Genesis. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. That's true. We believe that's true. In him was life. And in that life was the light of all mankind. We believe that's true. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We do believe that that's true. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testifying concerning that light so that through him all might believe. That's true. We read about John the Baptist. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. That's true, and that's an important verse 8 that we're going to touch on towards the end here. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's true. We spent the last month talking about that. He was in the world, and though the world was not, um, and although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. That's unfortunately true. You catching this? He was in the world. He was in the world, and he made the world. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's true, unfortunately. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We hold and affirm that that is true. That is where our hope is. That's our belief. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is true. We believe that that is true, that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 15, John testifying concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. This is what the author means. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. We believe that that is true. Verse 18 is a big one too. No one has ever seen God, 
but the one and only Son, who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, that person has made himself known. We believe that that is true as well. So in light of this text, which is pretty good on its own, (laughs) doesn't need too much from me this morning. Um, I want to ask the question, where does this leave us? If this is all true, which we believe it is, and if it's not only true, but if this is supposed to do something in our lives, where does that leave us? If God creating has something to do with us, if the story of the nation of Israel and the people of God have something to do with us, if the Messiah has something to do with us, and if this is all true, where does that leave us? And so I'd like to answer that question by extending a phrase that we get from verse 8, is that we are to witness to the true light. Verse 8 and 9, I borrow language from. Our primary and shared call as children of God is to be witnesses to the true light. Primary and shared are both important in different words. The first one communicates that this is the the utmost call, is to witness to the true light. And it's shared because in this room is represented different families, and different people holding different responsibilities in life, whether it's work or school or both, or um, raising families, looking after households, um, raising the next generation, all of those combined for some of you. Um, We all, despite our differences in this life, have a shared calling, and it is to witness to the true light. To do that requires first for us to say, God loves me. That is probably the easiest way that you can witness to the true light, is to be able to say and to be able to believe, God loves me. And then to say, God loves you to someone else. Those are two really powerful ways that we can all witness to the true light to say, God loves me and God loves you. To be able to do that is profound. Then, to witness to the true light, after we are able to say, God loves me, after we are able to say, God loves you, is to live as though. That's a phrase that, that's the important phrase I want to throw out is when we're talking about witnessing to the true light, it's to live as though. Things like God actually deeply does care about the poor and the orphaned and the widow. (laughs) It's to live as though that actually might be a true thing about God. It's to live as though God actually means love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. To witness to the true light means that we are to actually live, actually make decisions, actually say words that communicate that we believe 
that God thinks we should love our enemies. We are to live as though salvation is good news for all. And that list could go on and on and on and on. The important thing to hear is that witness begins with knowledge, but it doesn't end with knowledge. It is a different thing to know something that is different from doing something. It is one thing to know that Jesus said, love your enemies. It is another thing to love your enemies. (laughs) It is one thing to read a Christ that in a moment of arrest says, drop your sword. It's another thing to drop your sword. It is one thing to know that there is a Christ that speaks words of compassion and not judgment to people that are different from him, disagree with him, don't look like him, are more unclean than him, are full of way more sin than him, And it is another thing for us to do the same. To be a witness to the true light is to take what you know and for that to actually change how you live and how you think and how you talk. And it's for that reason that I appreciate John's distinction between witnessing to the light and thinking that we are the light. Verse 8 speaks of John the Baptist, who he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And you may immediately be thinking back to Christmas, December 23rd, where I said that Jesus said that we are the light of the world. And I think that's still true, but what I first think is that we shouldn't have a problem with being the light of the world, meaning witnessing to the light of the world, first of all. That, that shouldn't be a problem for us. Secondly, the reason that it's important to distinguish this idea of witnessing to light versus being light is because we live in a world where many individuals say, Look at me. And we live in a world where many individuals say, believe me. You don't have to look outside of anyone else but me. Look at me. Look at the things that I'm doing. Believe me. Believe the things that I am saying and thinking. And the temptation for us as people and the the, the, the temptation for us as people who have any kind of circle of influence, which we all have some, but it's also our temptation as people 
who are choosing what to believe in and choosing what to follow. The temptation is for our preferences to become truth. The temptation is for opinions to become truth. Let's put it this way. Someone who you respect, this is something we come, we, we come face to face with more often than we'd probably like to admit, is that someone that we respect and hold in authority says something that not only we disagree with, but God disagrees with. <laughs> How many times are you at that crossroads where you actually have to make a decision? on how you're going to reconcile what you believe God thinks, but then what that person who made a decision or said something thinks. You respect them, you hold them in authority, but what they have done is against what God would have done. And what they have said is against what God would have said. Where are you going to go? You can't serve two, one or the other, this way or that way. If we rejoice that God desires to receive, that God desires all people to receive him, if that's something that we are willing to rejoice about, if we are willing to rejoice and praise the Lord that we believe that God desires for all to come to him, then we must be willing to receive all. If we are so convinced that God wants all of his creation to be reconciled to him, then we must be willing to be reconciled ourselves to all of creation. If we believe that God desires to, for there not to be enemies just in the world, then we need to live as though we don't have enemies. And if God desires for all to be extended the love of God and for all to experience the love of God, then we must not withhold the love of God from a certain people group, from a certain nation, from a certain neighborhood. But we must be proactive in extending the love of God. I lament something that I have observed as, as I have reflected on my 28 years. 28? Ty? As I have... <laughs> as I've reflected on my, I think, 28 years, what I have... what I have realized is that whenever there were just unexplainable conflict, those moments where you hear something that happened and you're like, how on earth could that have happened? Or when you hear about something that has happened within a family or an organization, like a church, and you think to yourself, I cannot even perceive an ounce of how that could have possibly happened, I think what was happening is that people were thinking that they were the true light. 
people believing as though they were the true light have fragmented families, churches, nations, nonprofits, and they continue to cause havoc. I have seen families neglect their own kin because of a very minor disagreement. I have heard people at churches that worship the God who reconciles the world to itself and himself. I have heard those Christians speak words of dissension and slander and hatred and have made decisions from hate and not love. And I'm seeing a country do it too. And that's where we knew where I was heading. We are in a moment It is going to be harder and harder and harder for Christians to justify worldly things with their faith as the months and years go on. There are things that have been commonplace for Christians in this country to think certain ways, to talk certain ways, to vote certain ways, to think certain ways on issues of man. And it is going to be increasingly difficult for us to justify our worship of the God that we read about and the people and stances and positions that we think most best resemble that God. It is going to be harder for Christians to reconcile those things, and it is going to become easier for people to sniff out Christians who are not doing a good job. I think that's what I wanted to say this morning. Because you know what? Um, War of any kind is bad. I'm talking war between countries. I'm talking war between people with your same last name and everything in between. It's bad. It's not good. It's bad. And when people have gotten to the point mentally where they think they've got it all right, and if someone who doesn't think like you is not worth your time, 
and is not worth your attention and is not worth your money and investment and effort, then you have missed. And that person has missed the mark and the calling, which is to be a witness not to ourselves and to witness not to what we think, but to witness to someone else and something else. We point to the one who was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And we say, praise the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the good news this morning is that you're not God. You know, there's, there should be good news every day. There should be good mercies, new mercies every day. But all of those good things and those new things require a response. John the Baptist in the wilderness said, repent and show that by being baptized and then keeping with the fruit of baptism. Every piece of good news necessitates a response. And so if the good news this morning is that we're not God, then the response is, but do you think you're God? <laughs> do you, have you done things that have shown that you may subconsciously, in some weird mangled wiring in our brain, have you behaved as though you're God? Otherwise, you don't really believe. I don't really believe. We don't really believe. Anyone doesn't really believe that they're not God if they cannot change their mind about the ways in which they have been God. I find myself in an environment, vocationally, where I am tasked to discern, and I've boiled this down, I am, I am frequently tasked to discern on if people are being honest with me. You know how difficult that is? You know how hard it is to constantly be in positions where you need to decide if another human being is being honest with you. And I'm not talking about having a disposition of a cynic, right? I'm not, if, hopefully you know that I'm not a pessimist. Hopefully you know that I, I do my darndest to see good everywhere. I'm not talking about like every time I talk to someone, I just think they're not being honest. I'm talking about week in and week out, I am put in positions where I am receiving a story. I am such and such that is in need of such and such. Can you help me? And then some of those people I have relationships with, and then they don't act like they're my friend, or they don't act like we even have a relationship. And 
I am in a position in life right now, working through it, not arrived, where I need to consciously um, make these micro decisions on do I see this person in front of me the same exact way that God sees them? And, and, I, and I don't think we're allowed to say yes until we have come to terms with the fact that we have before said no. I think in this particular case, we can't just say yes and amen if you haven't gotten honest enough with yourself to realize that you are imperfect and that you don't hit a home run every time a pitch is thrown your way. We don't have the right to say, yes, I view all people the way that God does unless we have gotten honest enough with ourselves to define a moment in time and a person and a face and a name where we haven't. Otherwise, we can't say yes. And so, man, the good news is The good news is that each and every one of us are being seen by God. Each and every one of us are loved by God. And shame on me if I cannot do everything in my power and abilities and mental faculties and, and resources of time and money and effort and energy if I can't extend that same love to someone else who's not a world away, who is a foot away, someone who shook my hand when they walked in the room, someone who showed up to the Dream Center. So the good news is that, is that I'm not God, and I have... I have knowingly and I'm and, and unknowingly played the role of God before. I have. So my response must then be, Lord, forgive me and 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 show me where I need to change my mind about how I've been treating people, about how I've been talking to people, about how I've been withholding things from people, about how I have not um, done the thing that I know that that person would have wanted me to do, something as simple as a phone call or text, but I have not done it because I have harbored my own anger and frustration against that person. And so, um, I think the only thing that makes any of this right, because <laughs> this is chaotic, this, this tension between us as imperfect people and, and receiving this invitation of being like Christ and loving one another as God has loved us, is, is the, the, the tension is chaotic. The only thing that can happen is if we can fully embrace the love of God 
and allow that love to shape how we love others. That is the only way that this is made right. It's the only way. It is the only, only way that it is made right. So, um, we're going to respond. I'm going to pull an audible on Tom and Desiree, uh, a brief one. I would like us to do something before we um, come to this table, and that is uh, create space for repentance. <laughs> um, that, is, that is to create space for us to pray and for us to, um, if we want it to, to confess to someone and for people to pray for each other. Um, I was reading a book earlier, later, last week, about how the first century church operated. And there were certain communities of people that protected this meal so diligently that they, they created space for people to get right with one another and to get right with God before this meal was actually participated in. And I'd like to do that today because um, I would be foolish as a leader if I didn't do it myself. So, if we could do reckless love and have an opportunity for people to pray at altars or with one another, um, and then whenever that needs to, to stop, then we will come to the table. So, um, I would invite you to, to stand with me, allow me to pray for us, and then have a moment where we can respond in the ways that um, we are needing to respond. Lord, I ask that you would be gracious to us in this moment. I ask that you would speak clearly in this moment. Um, and also trust that you have spoken clearly. And I pray that the mark that would be left on us this morning is your love. And that your love and your kindness in this moment would lead us to repentance. Allow us to fight against our own ways in which we have historically received feedback and things that we call criticism and feelings like what we call guilt. Allow us in this moment to be honest with ourselves, to receive honesty from you, and allow honesty to be something that transforms us into an image that looks more like you and less like me less like us. Allow us to see your kindness and allow that kindness to lead us to a changing of mind, to a changing of heart, to a changing of, of deciding, to a change in action. Be gracious in these moments, Lord.